The Gospel according to John. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and we learn at the end of the book that it comes from one of Jesus' closest followers called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he appears many times in the story itself, and there's some debate about whether it's John the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, or a different John who lived in Jerusalem and was known in the later church as John the Elder. Whichever John it was, the book embodies his eyewitness testimony, and it's been brilliantly designed with a clear purpose that he states near the end. John says, the story is written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. John believes that the Jesus you read about in this book is alive and real and that he can change your life forever. The book's design is really cool. Its first half opens with an introductory poem and a short story that's followed by then a big block of stories about Jesus performing miraculous signs that generate increasing controversy. And it all culminates in his greatest sign, the raising of Lazarus, which creates the greatest controversy as Israel's leaders decide to kill Jesus. And that launches into the book's second half. These chapters focus on Jesus' final night and last words to his disciples, which are followed by his arrest, trial, death, and resurrection. The book concludes with an epilogue. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half. So the book opens with a two-part introduction. First, a poem that begins, in the beginning, was the Word, an obvious allusion to Genesis 1, when God created everything with his Word. Now, a person's words, they're distinct from that person, but they're also the embodiment of that person's mind and will. And so John says that God's Word was with God, that is distinct. And yet the word was God, that is divine. And as we ponder this claim, we hear later in the poem that this divine word became human in Jesus. Then John goes on to draw from the stories of Exodus, saying that Jesus was God's tabernacle in our midst. The glorious divine presence that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant became a human in Jesus. Which leads to his last claim, that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Son, who has become human to reveal the Father to us. Now, as we consider these mind-bending claims, we then start to hear a story about how John the Baptist first met Jesus and then led other people to meet him and become his disciples. And one by one, as people encounter Jesus, they say out loud who they think he is. And in this one chapter, Jesus is given seven titles. Now, these titles prepare us for John's love of sevens in designing the book, but altogether they also make a claim that this fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king, he's the teacher of Israel, and he's the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. Now that's a big claim to make about someone, and John will now go on to support it through the stories in chapters 2 through 12. They all have the same basic pattern. Jesus will perform a sign or make a claim about himself, and that will result in misunderstanding or controversy. And so in the end of each story, people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus is. The first section shows Jesus encountering four classic Jewish institutions, and in each case, Jesus shows that he is the reality to which that institution pointed. So Jesus is at a wedding party and the wine runs out, and Jesus then turns these huge jugs of water, like 120 gallons total, into the best wine ever. And the head waiter says to the groom, you've saved the best wine for last. Which is, of course, true, but John also calls this miracle Jesus' first sign. In other words, it's a symbol that reveals something about Jesus. So just as Isaiah said that the messianic kingdom would be like this huge party with lots of good wine, so this first miraculous sign reveals the generosity of Jesus' kingdom. Next, Jesus goes to the Jerusalem temple, the place where heaven and earth were supposed to come together and God would meet with his people. And Jesus asserts his authority over it, running out all the money exchangers, stopping the sacrificial offerings. And when the temple leaders threaten him, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus is claiming that his coming sacrificial death is where heaven and earth will truly meet together. His body that will be killed is the reality to which the temple building points. Then Jesus has this all-night conversation with a rabbi named Nicodemus who thinks that Jesus is just like him, another rabbi and teacher for Israel. But Jesus says that Israel needs much more than just another teacher with new information. Israel needs a new heart and a new life. Or in his words, no one can experience God's kingdom without being born again. 
Jesus believes that humans are caught in a web of selfishness and sin that leads to death. But he also knows that God loves this world. And so he's here to offer people a new birth, a new chance at life. From here, Jesus travels north and he ends up at a sacred well in a conversation with a Samaritan, that is a non-Jewish woman. And they start talking about water, which Jesus turns into a metaphor for himself. He says he's here to bring living water that can become a source of eternal life. Now in John, this term refers to a new quality of life, one that's infused with God's eternal love, and it's a life that can begin now and last on into the future. After this, John has designed another collection of stories that took place during four Jewish sacred days, or feasts. And again, Jesus uses the images related to the feasts to make claims about himself. So Jesus first heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, which starts a controversy with the Jewish leaders about working on the day of rest. And Jesus says it's his father who's working on the Sabbath, and so is he. And they catch his meaning, that he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God, and so they want to kill him. The next story takes place during Passover, the feast that retold the Exodus story with the symbolic meal of the lamb and bread and wine. And Jesus miraculously provides food for a crowd of thousands, which results in people asking him for more bread. And then Jesus goes on to claim that he is the true bread, and if they eat him, they will discover eternal life. And this offends many people who stop following him. After this is a block of stories set in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, which retold the story of Israel's wilderness wanderings as God guided them with the pillar of cloud and fire and provided them water in the desert. And Jesus gets up in the temple courts and he shouts, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And then later he says, I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be the illuminating presence of God and the life-saving gift of God to his people. And some people believe and follow him, but others are offended and still others try to kill him for these exalted claims. The final feast story is during Hanukkah, which means rededication. It's about how Judah Maccabee cleared the temple of idols and set it apart as holy once more. And Jesus goes into the temple area and says that he is the one whom God has set apart as the Holy One, and that he is the true temple where God's presence dwells. And he also says, I and the Father are one. This makes the Jerusalem leaders so angry, they set in motion a plan to kill Jesus, and so he retreats from the city. Now all these conflicts, they culminate in one last miraculous sign. Jesus hears that his dear friend Lazarus is sick, but his family lives near Jerusalem, which is now a death trap for Jesus. Now, Jesus could stay away and he would save his own life, but he loves Lazarus. So once he hears that Lazarus has died, he goes to raise him from the dead, and he calls him to life out of his tomb, knowing that it will cost him his own life. And the news of this amazing sign, it spreads quickly, of course, and just as Jesus knew it happened, the Jerusalem leaders hear about it and begin conspiring to murder him. And so he rides into Jerusalem as Israel's king who's rejected by its leaders. So the first half of John draws to a close with this story about Jesus laying down his life as an act of love for his friend. And this, of course, is also a sign pointing forward to the cross, which we'll explore more in the next video. But for now, that's the first half of the Gospel of John. I'm so happy to be back with you all communicating. I'm also grateful for all the rest that you give me. Justin, Park, Bob, all of you who come and publicly communicate, so really appreciate it. I'm going to do my best this morning to not take any of Park's uh, material, as he'll be communicating in the upcoming weeks about John 3, the story of Nicodemus, but I'll probably touch on some, so you can take some notes and <clears throat> use it as you wish. Appreciate you all. I, I, I openly confess to you. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> Hello! You snuck in right in front of me, and I only saw you from the back, and I was like, oh, I don't know who these people are, but from the front, you look like people I, I know. So how cool is that? <clears throat> so awkward. So awkward and random. <clears throat> I'll let you take the time and meet them later now that they're publicly responsible for throwing me off. <laughs> 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 
What'd you say? Oh, was I? Let me check my notes. My public confession is this. When I'm with you guys, there is this real trembling that takes place in me. To be with God's people, to be in this place where the fragrance of God just just overflows. So thank you for coming. Thank you for committing your lives to Jesus. Thank you for committing yourself to seeking him together. As we sing, as, as we pray, as we, as we move into the scriptures, my encouragement is this. Please don't make this your only moment for seeking the Lord. The scriptures, we're going to dive into the book of John again. And I was thinking about, man, we've been using these videos now for like going on three years. We're probably going to use them forever. Right, but but these are these are tools that we can keep going back to, keep keep diving into. There's nothing that I can share with you this morning that doesn't but only scratch the surface of God's glory and God's goodness in, in this book. The stories, the insights, the that's right, Roger. Scratching the word of God. No, he said scratching the surface. Scratching the surface. There is there's nothing that that I can say. That, that comes close to all that he wants to share with us. Dive into the book of John for the next, I guess we're going to be in John till through January. Well, End of December? December 4th. Creation. December 4th. Right. So, so I want to encourage you, just, just keep, keep diving into the scriptures. Let the word of God speak to you. Because the words of God are the words of God. Right. I don't want us to to separate the written word of God from the voice of God. And I think so often we don't actually hear the voice of God because we don't actually we've never actually received the words that he's written to us. And they're both living. They're living. So the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I, I as I was rewalking through the book, of John, I. I. I want you to know I, I'm a bit tempted, a bit swayed to, to move into a rather dark conversation this morning. I'm going to try to not go too dark, but there's something about the book of John and, and the way that Jesus' life is portrayed and, 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 and spoken of and written of that is so peculiar to me and, and, and so fascinating and so amazing. And it seems to me that the deepest, most relevant point of this book and the life of Jesus is focused on the very, very topic that we work to avoid every single moment of our life. And that's death. We are just not comfortable with, with death. We are not comfortable with sin. We are not comfortable with, with, with all the tension that, that life brings. And, and we complain and we get angry and we get bitter. And, and, and yet here's Jesus in this very, very small verse. Jesus makes it known that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. As far as I know, this is the only time this is written in the scriptures in this way. And what I mean is that it's point blank. All right. It's like the parent grabbing the face of the child and saying, I want you to focus on me. Focus for a second. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. And it's almost like as children, we nod our head and run back into our daily lives, run back into because it is such a deep, rich, profoundly true reality that because of sin in our lives, I want to make the suggestion that we reject on a daily basis. See, there's something about death that we are not comfortable with. And, and it's funny because I hear this phrase often, death is a part of life. I want to tell you it's not. Okay. It's not. Yeah. In Genesis 1, in John 1, in the beginning was the word. I want you to know that Adam and Eve, when the world was created, there was no such thing as death. As a matter of fact, death is counter to life. 
And the reason why, I want to make the suggestion, the reason why we buck this passage, the reason why we struggle to accept it, is actually the very evidence and the DNA and the fingerprint of God written on your soul. We reject it because we were never created for death. We were never created for thievery. We were never created for loss. We were never created to have things stolen. We were never created for, for, for all this pain. And so the reason, if you're not in that place, that, that the weight of the world, the weight of this thievery and, 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 and killing and destroy all this destruction, if you're not in that place right now, it is natural for you to kind of buck it, to not understand it. Let me just try to explain. <clears throat> in your life, typically, or at least in mine, when things are good, things are good. Right? You, you're blessed with comfort. You're blessed with peace. You just are, are in a state of, of acceptance and, and goodness. Sometimes. A little bit with, with too much concern waiting for the other shoe to drop. How many of you actually go through your day, as soon as things are good, you're like, oh, how long can this last? Right? This, how long can this last? This isn't going to last very long. And we're always waiting for the other side to come. But it terrifies. Have you ever noticed that, that destruction, death, pain, ever seem to recognize that that always seems to last longer than God's goodness? You may have heard over the Hold on, hold on one second, please. <clears throat> please, please, please. <clears throat> no matter if you are in just a moment of sadness, a moment of fear, a moment of hopelessness, you ever taste, you ever just come to the realization it just seems to last forever? It's just too long, right? When we're in that place of, of, of being overwhelmed by hopelessness, why? Because you're designed to live with hope. When we are absent of hope, we struggle to get out of bed in the morning. When we struggle with our divine purpose, when we struggle with our divine identity, with, when we struggle and, and we're not filled with, with any joy or any hope at all, we struggle to get out of bed this morning. And in that place, that is this place of complete destruction, complete death. It's just darkness. And, and even though it might only seem on the outside, maybe it's just a day. I was at the mechanic. Well, I've been at the mechanic way too much recently. My 2006 BMW is uh, starting to act up. And, and I went in to see my mechanic, and he was just having an awful day. Dwayne, I think you're going to appreciate this. So, so we've been building a relationship right across the street from Park and Cheryl. We've been building this great relationship over 20 years that they've been there. And as I'm sitting there, he comes out and I'm trying to get my car inspected, having some problems. And he comes out and, and starts spending more time talking to me than he usually does. You know, mechanics are usually into it, you know, and he's just really, really spending time talking to me. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, is this good or bad? You know, like, is this me? You know, is this that other shoe waiting to drop? Things were just good. But, oh, here's a $2,000 bill, right? What needs to be done? And it turned out not to be about me at all. He just had a really, really bad day and just couldn't shake the, the immensity of the moment. And, and so we were talking. It's fine that I share, but, but um, an individual had brought their car in for, to have some work done, some inspection. And it was, it was one of those, I hope I used the right language, but um, uh, a car for someone who's disabled, someone who, who has special equipment. Right. And so on these cars, if you've ever seen them, often the accelerator is, is is on the steering wheel. And so he got in to the car and was trying to press on the gas. And somehow the car just just went from like zero to 60 and he couldn't figure out how to stop it and just smash the car into the side of the building. And he's right. And you're just listening to this. You know, and just like, oh, man, I just feel right. And he's like, there's nothing you can do except call the person and say, I'm sorry. You know, I'll pay to have it fixed, you know, and just one of these one of these moments. And from the outside of looking at this situation and I asked him, I actually asked him, I said, I, I said, how long will this will this weigh on you? 
right? How long will this weigh on you? And sometimes I just ask this question because if you can actually understand that the season of darkness or weight or, or fear that you're going through actually has a timetable, um, you can actually find hope on the other side. Oh, probably by tomorrow, I think things will settle a little bit and I'll be able to, you know, let it go. Oh, great. You know, know that in the time between now and then, um, yeah, just want to join you in that struggle and encourage you. You know, these things happen, you know. And, and but have you ever noticed that when you're actually in that place, it seems to last forever? Yeah. There's something about the weight of, of destruction, of death. It just, even if it's only five minutes, really has the echo of eternity in it. You can't see the other side. You can't feel the other side. You can't sense the other side. You just feel this is your new state of being. Wow. Which is what makes the, the transition or, or, or <clears throat> that posture of that moment just so difficult to bear. And Jesus comes and, he, and, he, and, and, and he's telling us this. He's telling us that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if you read the book of John, and I, and, and I want to encourage you to do this, but I really want you to read it with eyesight on and open to this statement. Because it's something that we're not comfortable with. And again, I want to reiterate, that's true because you weren't designed to die. You weren't designed to, to, for loss. You weren't designed. But yet because of sin... In our world, this is a very active role in our lives. And, and, and here's the kicker. You don't even need to be part of the choice. Right? Maybe you're making bad decisions in your life. Maybe you're, you're being irresponsible with the things that you've been given. And, and when these things happen in those scenarios, we're a little bit less graceful. Right? They're the circumstances that play, take place in our life. But even if you are living a life connected to Christ, even if you are doing all that you can, all your love is connected to who Christ is, still in this world, you're going to be filled with the moments of despair. So why is Jesus giving us these words? Why is he telling us about, about death? Why is, he, why is he pointing to this? Yes. Yes. See, the book's not about death. And that's precisely why I want to make sure that we don't go too dark here. But it is about Jesus. And it is about life. Jesus says throughout the book of John, he's going to use himself over and over and over again. I am the light of the world. See, see, and this is so funny. When we say things, well, well death is a part of life. It's not no more than light is part of darkness. You cannot shine light into darkness and have darkness remain. Light exposes that darkness. Let me, let me dive into a passage here. Let me turn to um, hmm, where should I begin? I have so many. Let me go to John 12. In John 12, I want to take you to this passage where, where I just see the, the evidence and, and the realities of this message just being demonstrated before the eyes of Jesus' disciples and right before our eyes, if we can see it and if we can understand. <clears throat> Let me read. This is John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him. There Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. <clears throat> Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, 
said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. That means he stole it. All right. He helped himself. Those of us who have young children like to help themselves to things. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, this is an interesting moment to me. Lazarus has, has been brought back to life. And Jesus is going over and they're getting together. They're having a party. They're, they're just they're celebrating life. The author of life is there in the room. The evidence of life is there in the room. And they're getting together to just bask in what I would consider to, to, to call just an elated moment of God's glory and reality. There's, there are no questions in the room right now about death. There are no questions in the room about fear. There are no questions in the room about what we're doing with our lives. We're going to eat. We're going to laugh. We're going to be together. Lazarus is here. Last week he wasn't. You guys remember the weeping? Remember, remember the darkness? Remember the hopelessness? You know, when we were filled with despair? Just last week, right, just hours ago, we were filled with despair. And now we can't even remember. Oh, and, and here's Jesus, the one who did it. And what she does in this moment, and I want to call this a moment of elation because this is exactly what happens. Mary can't take it. Mary cannot take the glory of God. How awesome is that? That's just the coolest thing ever. It's just too awesome. And something happens in her humanity. I'm going to choose some very, very, some very, very strange words here, but she's intoxicated with the glory of God. Her inhibitions are lowered. She cannot contain her response to God's glory. Now, <clears throat> I think when we gather together here, I think there's evidence of this. We get so excited about being together and so excited about who God is. And, and, but, but none of us, you know, and this is what, right, Roger? I mean, we, one thing I love, and I've said this to the elders, I love when, we, when you all communicate in the middle when I'm giving a talk. I love it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can't be contained. See, there's something when the Holy Spirit moves, we can't contain ourselves. And this is exactly the invitation of what the power of the Holy Spirit is. Right. We're going to see Peter in, in Acts one after 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 uh, after Jesus ascends. He's going to end up being on street corners. They're going to be out telling people about the glory of God. They're so overwhelmed. These same individuals who ran away. These same individuals who were locked up in the room filled with despair are now in the room of the presence of God. And they can't contain themselves. Thousands added to this church daily. <clears throat> what was it? Hundreds of individuals are showing up because of life. <coughs> showing up because of life. As you were sharing, Dwayne, I just got this feeling in my soul. How excited God is to just hear those prayers. And, and, and in moments, in moments, in the presence and knowledge of God, to watch those mothers make a different choice. Because of the prayer of his faithful people, may life encroach upon the darkness. May light, may, may life encroach on death. May light push through the darkness. See, and there's this, in this, in this moment, Mary is in this room. And I don't think it's just her. I think it's, I think it's all of them. Have you ever sat next to someone who was raised from the dead? <laughs> Close. And every time you tell a story, you come to tears. 
Decades later. Ten years later. Ten years later. When you you sit next to someone who's been raised from the dead, you'll be overwhelmed by the conversation and the miracle every time. Every time. Because it's impossible. And there you are sitting in the room. Not with what's impossible, but with he who is the promise. And still, this is at a time they don't know. All right. They don't know. When Jesus speaks about his burial, right, we have the upcoming Passover. Next, we were going to talk more about his his the process and the path towards his death, burial and resurrection. They're not there yet. All they know is that he has power over death. All they know is that Lazarus was in the grave, wrapped in the burial clothes. They were even in that place. Hold on. They were even in that place four days. They were even, he was in there so long that when Jesus arrived to call him out, they didn't want him to. He's not going to look so good. He's not going to look his best. Right? He's not going to smell well. Jesus, do you really know what you're doing? As somehow life has limits. Well, maybe Jesus can call him out. But, see, and it's, like, it's in our minds right, that because of the lives and, and the sin that we live in, because of our lack of understanding John 10, 10, there's somehow that we have brought life and death into this, into this entwining conversation. Well, Lazarus might just come out, but he's still going to be... This is still going to smell like death. <laughs> do, you see, do you see the conundrum? Do you see the misunderstanding? And Mary is in this room, and she can't take it. She can't take it. So she finds this expensive perfume, which apparently is, and I haven't done enough research, but my understanding is it's almost a year's worth of savings. Am I right? Very possibly a year's worth of, 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 of savings. This is kind of, do you, ever see, do you see the, you see the irony of the moment, right? And she's going around, she's all around the house so excited and she picks up this, this treasure of the air and, and, and she totally loses her mind in public. She pours it over Jesus' feet. Then she lets down her hair, which is, which is like the most scandalous thing that you could do in public. Less down her hair, starts rubbing his feet with her hair because she's overwhelmed by the presence. Now, I want to explain something to you because I think this is so amazing. She gets something. She understands somehow in this moment of who Jesus is, but yet she doesn't fully get it. It's in this moment that her soul is informing her of something that her brain doesn't yet understand. She doesn't understand, right? This very, very son of God, son of man, is going to raise Lazarus. It's going to give evidence to power over death. Jesus is teaching them of what he's come to do. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Right? And, 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 and so here she is falling right in line to that eternal promise. But yet Jesus is going to move to the grave. And almost like overnight, just like all of us, she's going to go back into despair, back into confusion. And she's going to quickly forget. She's going to quickly forget what happened, what Jesus was trying to show. See, I would like to say if I'm her and I watch Lazarus do this, Well, when they come to arrest Jesus, I'm not going to run away. How about you? I'm not going to run away. Matter of fact, I want to stay as close as possible because I want to see what's going to happen. Yes. Right? I I know I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to be afraid. Did you hear how arrogant that is? Because... In this moment, I can understand why Peter would say such things. How about you? You're on that mountaintop. You're on that, right? 
the eternal reality of God has just been revealed to you. You think that you'd have enough courage for the rest of your life. But yet it's still not until the Holy Spirit comes down and fills his people do we have the courage to actually step into the life that we've been given. And she does this, 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 this moment takes place and she, and she, she wipes his feet with her hair. And it says this, the fragrance filled the room. I love the way that's written. The fragrance filled the room. But there's someone in the room who would have chosen different words. Have you ever, there's this really old, great clip. How many of you have ever watched uh, Mr. Bean? (laughs) We love Mr. Bean. And there's this one clip. uh, I wish I had it. I wish I knew this was going to pop up as an illustration. But there's this one clip where where he goes all excited to, to the department store. You know, he gets out his credit card. He's so excited to go and buy something. And as soon as he walks in, which is still pretty common in our in our um, department stores today, that the the fragrance center is kind of right there in the center, right? Fragrance and the fragrance counter. And he goes in and he's so excited. And all of a sudden he starts smelling and he starts collapsing. Right. And he's like on the ground trying to trying to and he crawls through. You know, and then he gets up on the other side and, and someone's getting ready to walk. A woman's getting ready to pass by and he stops her. He's like, oh, go around, go around. You know, don't go through there. And sure enough, here is Judas. He would not say at all that the fragrance filled the room. He would say, this place stinks now. I can't even breathe. The way that we respond to life is completely dependent on how we view the gifts that God gives us. When we're not grateful for what God's given us, your life's going to be filled with stink. When you're not able to see and receive the goodness that God's given you, we're going to find ourselves complaining more than we are Receiving the goodness that God has for us. And, and, and this fragrance fills the room. And, and, and Paul speaks of it as well. Paul writes in his letters that, that when he's receiving encouragement from the church, receiving encouragement from God's people, you know what he says? It's like a fragrance. See, when we come together, <clears throat> I have this imagery, this idea. And, and, and again, it, we, we, we have restraint. But when we come together and you share and you invest in each other, and we come not to receive but to serve Every Sunday morning, we bring with us a, a, a jar of fragrance. It's almost like we step in here on Sunday morning, we hold it above our heads, and in the glory of God, we're just so excited, we smash it on the ground and, and release it. And when you're in the presence of the glory of God, and in the presence of other people who love Jesus, that love overflows into an amazing, into an amazing fragrance. But when you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that it also becomes an offensive stink. There will be people in your life that just don't understand. That want to use, want you to use your gifts, want you to use your talents, want you to use your blessings in so many different ways. I can't even, why, why do you tithe? Why do you actually give money to the, to the church? Don't you know that, you know, new 65-inch screen TVs are, like, so cheap now? Haven't you been wanting a new deck? Haven't you been? Why, why would you do that? We can use this in such a better way. A whole year's value. Unevenly and disproportionately distributed over the feet of Jesus. There was an illustration I learned a week ago um, where when royalty would come, you would smell them coming. Mm. And Mary treated Jesus like royalty. And the fragrance filled the room. You could smell him coming. And obviously we go further in the chapter (laughs) and the next day is triumphal entry. I was out... um, 
this past week. And, and, and I just want to thank you guys, not only for the opportunity to communicate, but <clears throat> the opportunity to live and share my life with you. So, so this is too much to share, but I'm going to share it. Good. What did it say? Come on in. I, I, I care for people. I'm not much of a touchy person, but I, but I care for people. And it's interesting because um, when you're close to people and you give hugs and you meet people where they are, um, you can actually take on um, aspects of them. Right. And, and, and so I don't mean this in a derogatory way anyway. But uh, so if it sounds that way, I apologize. Right. So some of you in, in this room, if you're wearing perfume, I'll talk about you ladies. Right. Um, and, and whoever you hug, you know, will receive some of your perfume. And so um, this past week, I found myself in, in a situation that I um, gave a hug to someone. And um, after I left, I just recognized that I had their perfume on me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I was just like chatting with Sharon and, and I was just like, you know, I'm really not comfortable, you know, having the perfume of another woman on me when I'm so drawn to your smell. How rude is that? Right. Your perfume. Right. Now, again, it's not I'm not trying to be be rude in any way. It's just something that I noticed, right? And this is what you're talking about, right? You smell like the things you hug. I'm going to try to pull this away from people. You smell like the things that you love. You carry the, 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 the scent of the things that you touch, that you hold, that you value. If your value is in money, It's not going to be in people. If you're consumed and embracing the the approval of others, you're not going to be a fragrance fragrance to those who need your help. And when you share that, Sarah, my question is, can you smell Jesus coming? Are Are we so infatuated with the smell of Christ, with the aroma of Christ, that we're actually the ones distributing it rather than taking on the sense of the world. Wow. And so she smashes the jar and this fragrance fills the room. And there's Judas in this conversation. who's kind of saying, Oh, you know, we could use this for other things. This is, this is so stinky. I can't believe, I can't believe this is actually happening. But yet it is my desire and, and, and dream, and I want you to know it takes place here, that when I'm with you, I, I, I pick up on the fragrance of God. And Jesus actually tells him, you know, <laughs> leave her alone just so that she can keep it for the day of my burial. And Jesus addresses, he points us back to the answer. He points us back do you ever wish you could bottle joy? Ever wish you could bottle hope? Seriously. So, 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 so here's like, here's like, here's like my little like uh, art craft for you. I want you to go out to Michael's, go out to Home Depot, whatever, and go go buy little jars, quartz, right? And, and, and maybe you wrap, I don't know, maybe you wrap up a piece of paper and put it in. Maybe you just in your imagination, just just fill it up. When you're when you're filled with the glory of God, you're filled with the promises of God. I want you to put the promises of God in all these little jars. And have a whole cabinet filled with them. That when you're feeling that darkness, when you're feeling death, you're feeling destruction, just poor of you, just go to that cabinet. Just let them fall out, smash on the ground. Let the aromas of God, the fragrance of God just overflow. Turn with me to uh, John chapter 5. This is John 5 verse 25. Jesus says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I like the passages where Jesus heals people. I like the passages where Jesus helps the blind to see and when he calls the dead back to life. I I like it when he helps the lame to walk. I love those passages. I love that he turns he turns water into wine. I love that he that he that he offers living water to the woman at the well. And she runs into town, and she tells everyone and 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 people come and they dedicate their life to Jesus, recognizing that he's the Messiah. But then you have this passage. Jesus, what are you talking about? See, see, I really like this. This the dead will hear your voice and 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 and, and rise up and, and be partners into this life. Verse, verse 29, they'll come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and though and those who have done evil to their resurrection. Of judgment. Okay, Jesus, I really like the resurrection of life part. What is this, the resurrection of judgment part? See, the whole book of John, and they even said it in the video, the whole book of John is really posing this question to us. Who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? Because this is the decision before us. This is a decision before everyone. And, and, and Jesus writes... He says these words, they have to mean something. They have to mean something. I know that that we are so enamored with life. I know we don't like to talk about death. I know we don't like to agree with sin. I know we like to believe that we're fine in and of ourselves. Outside of those moments of despair, we're okay. That somehow, somehow... All is going to end up well, and, 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 and God is everywhere, God is everything, and, 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 and as long as you're a good person, it'll just be okay. That somehow we don't need Jesus. But here's the very invitation. What Jesus is saying, it means something. And in John 3, Jesus actually says, listen, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to bring life. And I love this because if Jesus didn't come to judge the world, then I don't have time to either. All right. So when people look at you and find out that you're a follower of Jesus and all of a sudden they, they, they feel this judgment. I want us to know it's not you. Jesus didn't come to judge. So why should we? But this is what Jesus says. He says, he says, you already carry judgment on you. Has nothing to do with how you view me or how you view the message of Christ. Judgment is on you because of evil and sin that has been welcomed into the world. And we are not even aware. We're just, we're aloof to it because we have this, 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 this understanding, this, this DNA of, of, of life on us. But Jesus came to bring life to those who see him, acknowledge him, welcome him, receive his death, burial, and resurrection. Behold, the Lamb of God comes. And he brings life and he conquers death. Conquers death. But yet, he continues and he says, this message of life, me, Jesus, the power of Christ is going to move through all of eternity. And even those in the tombs, those who have called upon the name of Jesus, are going to rise in his name to the resurrection. But he's not done. But there's also going to be a resurrection of those who are resurrected to the judgment. What are you talking about? See, there is a reality that takes place. 
where the judgment of God, who I want you to know, is holy in every capacity, is holy in every way. That judgment is what we've earned because of our sin and, quite honestly, our rejection of him. We were designed for life. Life means being connected to the creator. Life means being in agreement with all of creation. It means in, to, to be in connect alignment and wholeness and one with the divine Yahweh. To be anywhere out of step means judgment. And the scriptures are very, very clear that this judgment is eternal. It is eternal separation from God. Now, I want you to know the scriptures actually use language of being, being cast into this, into this fiery pit. I want you to know that doesn't frighten me as much as, as much as what being separated from God for all of eternity does. Even with every breath that we take, we move in the grace of God. Every moment we have an opportunity to, to hear his voice, to move back into his glory, to surrender our lives to him, and to be partakers of life through him. When we step into eternity without him, you've chosen to step into eternity of nothing. Jesus spoke of this over and over in Revelation 21. Verse 8, it says this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The scriptures go on to speak, and the words of Jesus affirm us. That those who have received the blessing and presence and the promise and the covenant of Christ will not experience a second death, but will rise to be partners and heirs in his kingdom. But yet there remains the question that remains. The reality, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. As long as we're in this reality, we're going to be in this spiritual battle. Spiritual battle that we, scriptures speak of us to, to gird up in. In Ephesians 6, we get, we get this battle gear. But I want to encourage you. It's a very, very different kind of battle. And Paul speaks about it in Corinthians. When I think of battles, I, 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 I often think of this. This fear-ridden, self-proclaimed energy that I have to kind of take into the world. But I want you to know that the battle's been already been won by Christ. And so when we when we are aware of this battle, I want you to know that He's fighting on your behalf. He's fighting on our behalf. He knows. Our job is simply just to choose him moment by moment. To proclaim Jesus moment by moment. Over and over throughout our days, throughout our lives, we are all going to be asked the question, are you associated with him? And Jesus, when the, when, when, when the individuals in, in the marketplace ask Peter, do you know him? And I want you to know we're all going to say sometimes we're, we're all going to fail. And we have. But in the power and the spirit and, and, and being over filled with the fragrance of God. We get to make a choice that says, yes, I am his and he is mine. And, and I'll close with this. John, going back to John 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is such a comical moment. I mean, if I'm Lazarus, 
All right. If you are lighthearted in any capacity, you you die. You come back to life, which which really by no decision on your part. He didn't choose to die. He didn't choose to come back to life. And here he is. He's done nothing. And now they want to come kill him again. I mean, can you just be like, can I just get a break? Right. Can I just get a break? It almost seems like when we position ourselves with Jesus, that we're going to find ourselves in the very, in the very position that, that is going to just attract attention and attack. But here's what I love. It said specifically, Lazarus reclined at the table. I think Lazarus has a little bit more insight than we do. A little more insight. I already died once. What can they do? Right? What can they do? He could rise up. Hey, I finally have a second chance. Rush off to the uh, to the local, I don't know, local training school. Get some swords. They're not taking me. I'm not going down this time without a fight. Right? I'm gonna grit. But he's there reclining at the table with the one who he knows gives life and gives it abundant. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But what? I have come so that they so that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't know. But when Lazarus is reclining at this table, it looks like to me that he's discovered abundant life. But Lazarus, what are you doing? I'm reclining. Well, aren't you going to go? I'm reclining right now. Yeah, but what are your plans? What are you going to do next? What about this? What about that? I'm just going to recline. See, the scriptures also say, be still and know that I am God. Yes. And when you're overwhelmed, filled with fear and worry and concern, be still and know that I am God. Do not worry. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Come and recline at the table. But I also want us to be very, very aware. I think this is the most powerful weapon against the world that wants to destroy you and the promises of God within you. They are very, very upset about the miracles of God, the initiatives of God in the lives of Jesus' people. They want to squash it. They want to destroy it. They, they, see, what, they see what's happening. That's never a reason for us to, to, to stop worshiping and letting the glory of God out of our lives into the world. There's always going to be people who are going to be upset there's always going to be people who, who, who want to, to take your gifts and do something other with them. Don't you know that going to living faith is just, just so few people? Right. Why, would you, why would you do that with your life? Nick, why do you even take time to communicate to them? You can, you can be communicating to so many more people. Why don't you use your gifts for all these other things? There's always going to be these people who want to destroy what God is doing in your life. And I want you to know they do, they do so with much less initiative than, than hunting you down and stalking you. It can be done with fear through the media. It can be done with, with, with worry that comes from your own soul. What are people going to think? Is this the right thing to do? Is this, when we stand on the word of God, when we stand and sit and recline with Jesus, I promise you, Jesus says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And he's given us a portion of himself to see us through each and every day. Amen. Amen. Father God, as we conclude this morning, I just thank you for your promises. And, and, and Jesus, we, we, we want to take heed to your words. We want to acknowledge that, that we are in a real, a real, a reality of, of where death is, death is a part of this world. 
But being swallowed by you, we are not, death is not part of our life. Death is not part of our lives because death is incompatible with life and you are the author of life. So when we step into life with you, you, are, you grant us life in its fullest. So Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us, reveal to us that as the source, we, are, we always have hope. We always have joy. We overflow with your love. And so we want to receive that from you. But yet we also receive your grace. That in this world where we live, where these pressures are constantly coming, that we are easily, our souls are easily shifted to doubt and fear and skepticism. And I'm reminded that even John the Baptist, the very one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the very one who proclaimed this promise and in his darkest moments, he sends to Jesus and asks, are you really him? Are you really the one? And we, I just thank you for that. Because we do the same thing. And when you write of things saying that, that, that there's none greater than John the Baptist and, and, and even he fell victim to these questions and this, this, this fallen humanity that we also recognize that, that we're also welcomed in to your eternal promises and covenant. So we thank you for all of your grace. We thank you for all of your love, all of your patience towards us that we get to day by day make choices that actually leave we can choose less. We don't have to choose sin. We don't have to choose. We don't have to choose the brokenness of this world. And we can choose love. We can choose to lay down our lives and move in step with you. Holy Spirit, reveal to each and every one of us what this means. In Jesus, we pray and thank you for all these amazing things. Amen.